Welcome to the GAIN Service Academy Admission Podcast. In these episodes, we will explore all things related to gaining a coveted appointment to the Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, and West Point. And here are your hosts, Rob Kirkland and Trish Penroth. All right. Uh, hello again. Hey, uh, so uh, as we do in each of the uh, beginnings of this podcast, how you doing, Trish? I'm doing well down in sunny Florida. How are you, Rob? I'm doing good here at No Earthquakes here in California. But, you know, the joke is, is that we're both, uh, you know, this is we're we're taping this in December of 2020. And uh, you told me today that uh, it's 60 degrees there and you're you look like a snowman. That's right. I have my Eskimo <laughs> gear on. <laughs> we are definitely spoiled in this in in uh, in California, Southern California and in, uh, in Florida. But, uh, you know, hey, it's the choice to live here. Not and it's you know, you don't nobody's uh, nobody's telling you, you have to live in a certain part of the country or not. That's right. North of the wall. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Well, I mean, today we're uh, we're going to be talking about you know kind of the choice of the service academies, and we're kind of limiting ourselves today to Army, Navy, and Air Force. Uh, and I think we'll save the Coast Guard Academy and Merchant Marine Academy perhaps for a, a separate uh, podcast, uh, and perhaps try to maybe find somebody who's gone to those academies to kind of to come on and. Give, give us their perspective on, on those two um, academies. So, you know, I think that, you know, we're, we're going to limit ourselves to those three for today. And, uh, and so Trisha, I know in our first podcast, you introduced yourself, but how about a little more about, you know, about the Air Force Academy and kind of a little bit of your, your background there? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so applied in 2006 and received my appointment in 2007 to the Air Force Academy in good old Colorado Springs and ended up graduating in 2011 and served seven years after that. Um, And it's funny how when I was at the Air Force Academy, how slowly time went by. And now that I'm looking back, those four years went by so quickly. Yeah. And, uh, that's, you know, when I'm in my 50s now and I'm wondering where my 20s went. <laughs> but do you remember when you got nominated, you you were off of your Congress uh, congressperson? Yes. Was it your, were, you the, were you the primary applicant or the primary, the primary appointee? I, I was. Okay, you were the primary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, both you and I have that in common as far as congressional. I wasn't the primary appointee for my congressional district, but uh, heck of an accomplishment. Uh, where were you at at the time? Where, where were you living at the time when you got the uh, when you got the nomination? I was living in Columbus, Ohio, and mm-hmm. uh, I actually didn't find out about the Air Force Academy until pretty late into my junior year. One of my, I asked one of my friends and he said he was applying and we both got accepted together. So that was pretty exciting. And were you in the same congressional district? Yes, we were. Yeah. So he was he was what was known as an alternate appointee. Exactly. An AA, as we say it, and that's that's how I was. Uh, that's what I was. What what do you what do you attribute if you had to to say where you were the were you the principal or were you or did they make it all ten were competitive and you were the primary appointee? How did how did it work with your district and what do you what do you think accounts for you being the uh, primary appointee for your uh, district? 
I was the principal even with um, the mm-hmm. 10. And I would say it's the fact that even though I didn't know about the, the service academies and, and kind of the person that they were looking for, I fit the mold, uh, if you will, before applying. So, you know, team captain for two different sports teams. I lettered, um, I think, three three out of four years in both soccer and lacrosse mm-hmm. and uh, lots of school participation. I was uh, elected to student council. I had lots of volunteer opportunities that I took advantage of. So that leadership was there. And then um, 3.9 GPA and a 33 on my ACT. So I, I was I was already there um, before I even knew that I was there. <laughs> yeah. And would you say that that was the most competitive academy out, uh, out of coming out of Columbus or so, what, what was your thoughts on that? No, one? I, I really don't know, but I would say that geographically because of the fact that Colorado Springs is so far away from Ohio, you know, it seems like when I was out there, there were a lot more people in the West that were familiar with the air force Academy and the East coast. It was either you were into the Naval Academy or West point. So I would say that I probably had an advantage in the fact that, that I wanted to go be, a fly boy <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean obviously your your record was stellar so that uh you know and so your congress your congress person awarded you the i guess the principal made you the principal meaning it wasn't competitive they he or she designated you as the principal and then left the other nine as a competitive yes that's my okay. understanding Okay. All right. Well, good. That's a, that's a, that's a nice background there. My, my background is, uh, I was, uh, I applied out of upstate New York in the Albany, New York area, uh, to West Point. Well, that's and competitive. It, yeah, it was, it was competitive for West Point because obviously it's only a couple of hours drive to, you know, to West Point from there. Uh, and, uh, I was a, uh, alternate appointee. So I wasn't the primary, but the way that our, my, my congressman did it was he, he put uh, all 10 as competitive and let the academy choose mm. uh, the number. Mm-hmm. And I think for our year, we had maybe four or five out of the 10 that went. Wow. And so it shows you that, that you know, even though you may not be the primary in, or, you know, in your case, a principal in your congressional district that, you know, if you come from a competitive district and you've got good credentials, uh, you know, that you prop that they will reach down into those uh, alternate appointees in order, in order to be able to make you uh, uh, academy, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, give you that offer. And my offer was made in January. Wow. So, I mean, you can see, they even, at, yeah, even as EAA, <laughs> you know, they, they, they kind of knew. So my background, you know, was, uh, you know, I had civil air patrol. I was uh, what's known as a spats cadet, which was kind of the top cadet uh, at uh, in civil air patrol. So, and I had, Sports, similar sports profile, not not quite as strong of a, a ACT SAT profile as you had, uh, and not quite as strong of a GPA. But I think um, with all that, I think that you know they kind of made that decision for me, you know, in, in that regard. So I had no, actually, I had no idea what a AA appointment was until probably five or six years after yeah. I got out of West Point. Yeah. So I mean, it shows you kind of you know how you know you really even people applying for the process don't necessarily really completely understand it you know, nor really, you know, so things like that. It just kind of so, happens. <laughs> yeah. It just, just kind of happens. And I think that's one of the reasons why we kind of are doing this podcast is kind of to uh, have, you know, both applicants and their parents kind of understand, 
you know, the process a little bit better and maybe kind of get an unvarnished, uh, a somewhat opinionated uh, view of kind of these things that yeah. may not be kind of the official line of the, the academies per se. I mean, yeah. if you want the official line of the academies, I guess you can, you know, listen to their videos if you want. Yeah. And <laughs> just, just be perfect. That's the official. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll see in future when we kind of talk about in future podcasts about the nomination process, you, you'll see that it's not necessarily the most fair process, unless of course you're applying to the Coast Guard Academy where it's, you know, where there's not the nomination process. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I guess, you know, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll maybe um, take care of that in future episodes, but, but, you know, why each of the academies, I guess, uh, you know, why apply to West Point, uh, Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, and, you know, what, what's, what's the difference between them and, and, you know, what's, what's it all about with each one? And so, yeah, these are all um, really good questions. Yeah. And yeah, so I guess, I uh, to, yeah, I, th- I think you have to start with looking at the, the reason for not just going to the service academy, but, you know, that long-term view of what comes after. Yeah. So it's not just, you I mean, going four years and then just, you know, <laughs> that's not it. Not knowing what you're going to do at that point. No, I think yeah, you know very what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've seen that so many times. I mean, when I was in ROTC, you know, and, and uh, interviewing candidates and, you know, I'd ask them, well, why, why do you, well, this was for Army ROTC, I'd ask them, well, why, why are you here today? And it's, you know, well, I want to fly fixed wing aircraft. And I said, well, that's just not going to happen for the army. So, I mean, there's a lot of people I think who applied, not a lot of people, but a number of people that apply to these who have really don't have a really good idea of what the serve, what that each of that cert, what the services are and what you can do in each of these services. So, yeah. Um, you know, maybe I'll give you, I'll give you a crack at the air force first. Uh, how about that? Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Um, well, I, I just think the history of the Air Force is cool. You know, we, we don't have that legacy that the Navy and, and the, the Army has. But it, it's only this, the Air Force Academy has only been around for 61 years since the first class um, graduated in 1959. So we, we don't have that. I mean, 60, 61 years is still a really long time. Mm-hmm. But the focus on airspace and cyberspace um, and I, I guess, you know, since apparently the Air Force Academy is now going to be um, responsible for the Space Force as, as well, I can still say space. <laughs> 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 but it really is, to me, the, that techie route that um, you're interested in engineering. There's just so many different opportunities in the Air Force. And, I, you know, of course, I have to put in a plug for the quality of life because, we, you know, the other services, we have the best family housing dorms and recreation and the Air Force. Uh, I'm pretty sure I don't even know that I've ever been to an Air Force base without a golf course. <laughs> <laughs> Where they said uh, the joke with the Air Force is, is that uh, the Air Force goes to Congress and uh, puts in the gyms, the housing, the, the officers clubs, and then goes back and said, and ask for more money to put in a runway. That's right. Yeah. What are we going to do at these places? <laughs> but so, it, does, yeah. it does have the largest per person budget and it's so technologically driven as well. Yeah. So like uh, what percentage of air force officers are actually pilots versus say, you know, other types of specialties. Cause I know, 
you know, that you weren't a uh, pilot. So I just want to kind of get that idea because I think there's that maybe mistaken impression that uh, most people in the Air Force are pilots. Or most yeah. officers are pilots. Um, so I don't have the exact percentage. Um, if you do, if you are interested in flying, the, uh, you know, like 60 to 70% of the class every year out of the academy uh, gets the opportunity to fly. You have to be pretty low down into the each graduating class not to get an, a, a pilot slot if you're medically approved and if you want it. Um, but there's so many different, uh, opportunities as well in the air force with logistics and, um, support and operations and then the sciences as well with the, um, just the different types of engineers, uh, that the air force has. So there's so many different opportunities. It goes way belong just flying. And I don't know how many times I've been asked, did you fly? Like, yo, you're in the air force. You must've flown something. (laughs) No, (laughs) I never did. (laughs) Yeah. So what would you say? I always want to ask this question, but, uh, you know, when you were in the air force, what was the pressure to, uh, to actually take up the pilot slot? Was there like, was there, was there a, uh, kind of, you know, pressure to do that? Or like, was, were people who decided not to become a pilot looked down upon at the air force Academy when you were there? Hmm. Uh, so a lot of people, because of the service commitment at the time to be a pilot, uh, it was a 10 years after you graduate from, uh, pilot training. So that was about 11 year time commitment. Mm-hmm. And for everyone else, it's, it's five years. So that's definitely a consideration. And I think because of that fact, it's more people, at we're, we're going there for the education and the benefits and being in the air force, but not necessarily flying then in, in the past. And it seemed to be pretty socially acceptable to, to say that, you know, uh, it, there wasn't a ton of pressure to fly, even though most people there were interested in flying. Yeah. And then, uh, we might just talk about the washout rate, uh, for pilots from the air force. What, what, what right now are we looking at with the people that actually go to flight school wash out right now? Um, let's see. I actually do not know that off the top of my head. However, uh, there, it seems there's a few career fields that, um, the pilots actually end up in. And a lot of the Mm -hmm. times it's needs of the air force, but it seemed to be like cyber, uh, Intel and cops and maintenance seem to be the, the main classes or the main career fields that pilot washouts ended up in. Yeah. And so, you know, I've, I've heard it sometimes upwards of 50%, but I imagine it might be a little bit lower now than maybe, you know, back in the day. But, you know, that's also an important point is that a lot of that some of the people who actually, you know, are not in, you know, not flying or actually tried to go to flight training and actually washed out. Yeah. And it looks, it looks like, um, it's 30 to 50% attrition rates. Yeah. So that, that, uh, that course sort of, um, I remember having a couple of, uh, friends of mine in Hawaii and my first assignment who had both washed out of flight school and were, one was a finance officer and one was an intelligence officer. So, um, so, you know, and I think that, um, you know, that can be tough, I think on some of, on some graduates, you know, who particularly were, um, absolutely, you know, were, we're focused on flying and then yeah. you know, kind of reach that kind of washout phase. Of, totally yeah. just destroys your dream potentially. So you have to be prepared for that. But I think that's why it's so important to not just join the air force to fly. Cause there's other ways to fly if that's what you really want to do. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, that that's great. Uh, any other thoughts about, um, you know, the Air Force Academy, then the route into the uh, Air Force? Uh, it's It really is a, a great location. I am super happy that they chose Colorado Springs because the other contenders were either Illinois or Wisconsin. So I think we lucked out. <laughs> yeah, I'd heard it was going to be that it was Ill- either Illinois or Missouri that was one of the, I guess that was the finalist along with um, yeah, Colorado Springs. I'll and stay so, away yeah. from Missouri too. <laughs> yeah, but isn't there a problem though with 7,000 feet with sometimes with the aircraft at that altitude sometimes? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many opportunities as a cadet and you can do powered flight. So, so there's just, you know, the, the jump team, you can learn how to fly on a twin otter, uh, with the powered flight program. And, um, the weather there in Colorado Springs is pretty, I, I don't know when this scouting team went to Colorado Springs, but it seems like in the afternoons, there's usually some sort of storms going on with the weather and patterns. <laughs> so that's interesting. <laughs> Oh, good. Yeah, having visited Colorado Springs and visited the Air Force Academy, I can see why people, um, you know, why there's such uh, an attraction to that place. So, all right. So, uh, Trish, I'm going to give my initial crack at West Point, and all you right. can go. You can go ahead and uh, and uh, you know ask me some questions or some follow up. So, so uh, I uh, went there from '84 to '88, and then I. Uh, was an instructor there in the Department of History from uh, 1998 to 2001. So I saw it both from the cadet side of the plate and also from the uh, instructor side. So uh, haven't been back really there since 2001, but I do kind of keep tabs on kind of what's going on. So it's the oldest academy established 1802. Uh, remember the Air Force before there was Air Force was the Army Air Corps. So it used to be part of the Army. Uh, they, the, the joke is, is that, you know, the people who wanted to fix the army went into the air force. So therefore, <laughs> we have all the people in the army now are, you know, basically the screw ups who didn't fix it with going to the air force. Broken. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, it's got, I would say probably of all the academies and probably the most tradition. Of course, uh, they say that, you know, since 1802, it's like, you know, 200 plus years of, uh, of, you know, tradition unimpeded by progress or something like that. So you know, basically <laughs> meaning that, you know, that we're still wearing the same uniforms we were, you know, that they were back in the civil war, uh, you know, and things like that. So you're, de- it's definitely steeped in honor legacy. Uh, you know, you have, uh, you know, you might compare say the air force Academy where you see, you know, jets, you know, as kind of up on pedestals, uh, you know, the F-15 or whatever with, maybe not as much emphasis on, on individual leaders. Whereas at West Point, you'll see MacArthur, Eisenhower, Thayer, who's the, uh, you know, who's the father of the military academy. Uh, so there's leadership is different. I mean, I'd say in the air force, you've got, you know, is that the officers are the warrior leaders. I would say in the army, you know, you're, your leadership is not just your officers, but certainly your enlisted uh, are also war, kind of warrior leaders too. Especially with so, warrant officers. Yeah, warrant officers too. The warrant officers are, I would say, you know, they're your, you know, they're a lot of your helicopter pilots, your mm-hmm. specialists, uh, you know, that may be somewhat similar maybe to, you know, the pilots in the Air Force to yeah. a degree. Yeah. So, uh, you're obviously led with this leadership. You're, you're, it's, you're talking about, you're, you're going to be a lieutenant in the army and you're going to be leading, you know, small units, uh, usually, you know, platoons of, 
you know, 25 to 30 people. Uh, it's not necessarily as much technically focused, uh, but there is a lot of technology in the army. There's a uh, bent towards combat arms in the ar- in in at West Point in particular. So there's a lot of emphasis on going branches such as infantry, field artillery, armor, which is tanks. Uh, those are kind of the three biggies as far as, you know, kind of combat arms along with, you know, kind of aviation, which is rotary wing. But there's also technical branches such as military intelligence, signal corps. There's a new branch called cyber, but it's definitely people oriented, definitely leadership oriented, definitely uh, boots on the ground, muddy boots on the ground. Uh, and one, you know, where you're going to, you know, as lieutenant going to go out there and you're going to be in the, a field environment uh, and not necessarily, you know, in, you know, uh, you know, you're going to be deployed basically. So uh, it's a big branch, the biggest branch in the military. Uh, there's a lot of different options. Uh, but, you know, as far as like, I'll oftentimes be, I'll oftentimes ask this question with, uh, you know, candidates who are kind of looking at the different branches and, and particularly like really sharp high school students, you know, who asked me, well, you know, I'm really interested in, you know, doing, you know, very highly technical work in the army. And I try to tell them that you're probably not going to get that till you're a captain, you know, five, six, seven years in, you know, when you're a Lieutenant, you know, you're, you're going to most likely be in the field and you're most likely going to be doing, you know, less technical work, uh, for the most part. So that's kind of, you know, kind of my, at least my take on some of the things with uh, West Point. So um, I'm sure I missed about a ton of things, uh, Trace, but what were some of the things from the Air Force perspective that you, you might want to ask me about the Army? So um, what was your MOS while you were in? Yeah, uh, my MOS was 13, which is artillery. So I was an artillery officer, cannon artillery. So that's so I was a forward observer uh, or what we call a fire support officer for an infantry company when I was a lieutenant. So I was out there with infantry, went to ranger school, did all the kind of muddy boots kind of things that you would expect. I was a cannon fire direction officer and a cannon platoon leader. Uh, so all of these things that were really in close support of the infantry. I was And I was in the 25th Infantry Division Light in Hawaii, my first assignment. Oh, that's a pretty good first assignment. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was. What it was was that uh, I ranked uh, pretty high in my class, but I also had the added advantage of artillery not being popular with my class. I see. So that was a great combination because I was like fifth or sixth in my branch, uh, which allowed me to select Hawaii as my first assignment. So what what pushed you to artillery if it was so unpopular? Uh, I, I just liked the. It was. It's sort of technical. But also, you know, kind of had a lot of leadership involved, too. So you could, you know, kind of be with the infantry and do, uh, you know, kind of advise them on employment of not just, you know, cannon artillery, but, you know, close air support, naval gunfire and things like that. So there was there was that. And then, you know, being an artillery, you know, cannon uh, art uh, platoon leader, you know, you were involved definitely with, you know, doing all the things technically technically wise that in order to be able to get around on target. So I like kind of the, that kind of uh, thing too, where, you know, it's not just, you know, kind of, you know, necessarily grunt work, but it was also more, it was also, there was also some technical things involved too. Yeah. That's, that's a great perspective. And uh, since you left as a cadet in 1988 and came back 10 years later in 98 as an instructor, 
did you feel like uh, any any of those perspectives towards choosing a career field, choosing an MOS had changed? No, I really had, hadn't seen any really change between the two. So I think, you know, pretty much what I'm seeing is about the same uh, as, as far as, you know, because when I was in ROTC, I was involved also with the branching process. So interestingly, there really hasn't been a lot of change in the Army in regards to kind of branching and kind of the things the things that you do, uh, you know, the there's army very, hasn't changed. yeah, the army hasn't changed that much, which is kind of concerning <laughs> given you know, all the things I think, I think the army in some ways is struggling right now with, you know, kind of what a future high intensity war might look like yeah. you know, with, you know, a peer competitor, mm. uh, you know, because I think it's almost like the, the time stopped and at the end of desert storm. Yeah. And, you know, then we had, you know, kind of the nineties where a lot of my classmates got out because they weren't sure what the, role of the army was in the 1990s. And then you got to 2001 and, you know, we had obviously had a high intensity initial part of the Iraq war, but then it became kind of a counterinsurgency and, and a lot of, you know, kind of the things that, you know, at least I had grown up with, with the Soviet union in the 1980s mm-hmm. and early 1990s kind of went away. And I think the army's kind of struggling right now to try to figure out where they fit in this new you know, world of hypersonics and, and, uh, near peer you know, adversaries. Yeah. Near peer adversaries and, you know, satellite, um, things and all this other, all these other things. But, but I think that there's still a role, you know, in, you know, in the world for the army, sure. uh, I, you know, I just not sure, you know, what it's going to look like high intensity wise for the army in the yeah. future. And I think, I think we're still trying to figure that out. Um, I will put a plug in for the army of, I had some peers working, uh, closely with at uh, the national security agency and they were very impressive. It's from the army side. Yeah, that's, that's great. Well, it's good to see at least a few impressed you. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. And, and I would say, you know, as far as the, um, as far as the commitment goes for the West Point is five years, pretty much for everybody. Uh, I think there's a few years tacked on for heli- for being a helicopter pilot. I think they've tacked on maybe three or four years uh, recently. Um, but, um, you know, it's not the 11 years for the Air Force. So, yeah. um, and that's so bumped, yes. Actually bumped up to 12 now. They added an additional year. Yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah. all right. So, um, so what about the Navy? Trish, what's, what's, uh, I mean, here we are, we don't really, you know, we're Air Force and Army people, but what, what about the Navy and what's your, what's your thoughts on the Navy? You know, I feel like the Navy has good traits from both the Army and the Air Force in the terms of they have this legacy uh, that's a lot longer than the Air Force and they've been around for so long, but at the same, the same point, you know, they're, they're very, um, it's an academic, it seems to be very academic uh, service in terms of the the technological aspect of it. And I guess that's, that just goes with the, um, you know, being sea bound. Yeah, no, exactly. I think, you know, you've got, I think with the Navy, you've got this kind of, you know, surface warfare, you know, for, you know, ships and, you know, and obviously there's all sorts of different, you know, ships, obviously in the Navy, uh, you know, you have the, you know, the, the, uh, pilots, you know, that, that, Obviously, you have, you know, ability to be able to fly for the Navy and then you have submariners, you know, submarine warfare. So, you know, you have underwater uh, operations. So there's kind of that uh, different. That's kind of that, uh, you know, as I see it, kind of um, a, you know, combination of things. And then, of course, the Marine Corps 
uh, that you can go into too, that obviously is, you know, has a lot of similar attributes to the army, but of course has a fixed wing component uh, to it uh, and things like that. So I agree with you. I mean, if you take a look at, you know, all three services and you take a look at, you know, a situation where you're, where you're maybe not a hundred percent sure about what you want to do, um, you know, the Navy seems, at least in, from my perspective, seems to have uh, at least the most different directions you can go in. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the one thing I would say is you better be ready to be at sea for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. That's, yeah, that's the one thing, you know, if you're, well, you know, I don't, you know, I want to say this is cliche, but, you know, if you're seasick, uh, you know, or not, you know, or confined spaces. Yeah. Combined spaces. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, definitely. And the deployments uh, can certainly be, uh, you know, long, you yeah. know, on a ship, you know, or a submarine or things like that. So oh, yeah, you got definitely got to think about that. I mean, you think Marine Corps, you know, you're going to be on a ship, Yeah, you know, right there. And so, you know, yeah. most ships are at sea for 10 days to two months or two weeks each month for training operations, but that can last up to six months. Yeah, I think uh, one of the ships came back uh, that was on the longest deployment ever for the Navy. I think it was like eight or nine months. Wow. So, yeah, so there's quite, yeah, so it's, you know, so there's definitely that kind of, you know, confinement and to the sea uh, that the Navy uh, has. I think, you know, the Navy also, I think, is appealing uh, in regards to having kind of a real world mission of being able to keep the sea lanes open. Definitely. That's, you know, which I think is is an important mission. Yeah, rewarding too. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, so uh, I think like the Army, I think the Navy is somewhat struggling with its what what a peer competitor uh, kind of uh, war might look like for the Navy. Yeah. Um, you know, given that, you know, I'm just not sure of the efficacy of aircraft carriers long term in mm-hmm. regards to hypersonic missiles and space based targeting and things like that. So, um, you know, I think if I had to think of you know, all of these services, I think, are going to be challenged in the future with whatever the technology uh, is going to bring. Oh, for sure. You know, and I think you you probably have a better idea of some of these uh, things that I do. But it's tough for me to see, you know, in some ways, the efficacy of an aircraft carrier in, in this day and age in regards to uh, uh, a, a uh, high intensity conflict. Yeah, I mean, from the perspective of force projection, it's uh, it's just not going to cut it anymore. Yeah, but in this day and age, though, where you know, if we don't get into a high intensity conflict, the Navy, with its forward deployed aircraft carriers and carrier uh, battle groups, uh, do keep the sea lanes open in in a in a situation that where we're not in a high intensity conflict. Yes, absolutely. So it's good. So, yeah. So obviously, you know, we're never, we're not going to be able to cover both Army, Navy and Air Force completely. And, you know, in a short discussion such as this, but, uh, you know, but again, you know, I think it's, you know, the the websites for all three services have great information that, you know, you can get and you can continue to read, you know, watch videos, kind of, you know, read, uh, you know, the, the, uh, you know, documents such as, you know, the the defense review and and other things that kind of give the mission of each of the services. So I think at least from my perspective, I mean, think, think that, you know, as, as a person in high school who's looking at these different academies, I think you owe it to yourself to kind of get, get 
grounded in, in the services because it's not just about going to the academy, but what you're going to do afterwards. A hundred percent. And also you don't just have to look at, you know, the service academy websites, but look at anything for recruiting for enlisted personnel as well, because that's going to give you a good idea of, um, you know, what your enlisted guys are going to be dealing with. And you're going to be dealing with a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. And talk to officers, you know, talk to, you know, your local national guard, uh, air reserve, Navy reserve, uh, you, you know, there's plenty of officers or retired officers or people who served in the military that can, uh, that can tell you all about that service. So you, you gotta, it's really up to you to educate yourself because once you get into that Academy, uh, you know, you're going to do a specialty within that Academy, within that service. Yes. And there are rare instances where you can cross commission, but those are very yeah. rare opportunities. Yeah. And yeah, I have heard of those. I know when I was there, they didn't allow that, but I do know that there is that, but you certainly can't count on those. Things. Oh no, definitely not. That's, that's so, a one-off. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So let's uh, transition here for a little bit to the application process. And I, I think the best way to describe it is, is that I would say that there are pretty much the same. Yes. Yes. The emphasis mm-hmm. on academics with the, you know, looking at really at your, your test scores, your SAT, ACT test scores and having a high GPA and being in the top, you know, 20, 10, 5% of your class. That's, that's really where the emphasis is placed. Mm-hmm. And also the, the whole person concept of the uh, scholar athlete leader um, that you have, I think is, you know, an important um, aspect there. Definitely. Um, as far as, uh, you know, because, you know, when you look at, for example, the congressional uh, nomination process for the service academies, the questions they ask are pretty much boilerplate template for all the services. So there's not, you know, a one set of questions for people who put in West Point, another set for the Air Force, another set for the Navy. It's it's they're pretty much the same questions, and this- which indicates that these nominations they're making these nomination decisions based on kind of a standard template that's used for all three academies. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a very good point. And to that point, I would guess I would go back to, you haven't decided which service Academy you want to apply to. So you've applied to more than one. So how do you, how do you answer questions about, you know, going into an interview, a nomination, or, you know, with a liaison officer of, you know, I'm talking to uh, my Air Force liaison officer, and he's asking me why I've applied to all three. And, you know, what are some tips for answering that question? Yeah, that's a, a great question. That's really tough because, you know, uh, it, it shows in some ways a little bit of ignorance, I think. Uh, and I'm being honest, is that, you know, there's that or naivete yeah. in some ways, Maybe you know, when ignorance. You, yeah, I mean, it's tough because, you know, how can you like, how can you want to go to all three academies? I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's always kind of somewhat, you know, it's hard to, to give a straight answer to that. I think you've, you certainly, I think most of the congressmen uh, make you uh, prioritize them. So they make you prioritize the, you know, what service academy you want to go to number one, number two, number three. Uh, you know, one of it, some of it may be, uh, may be easy. Uh, like for example, if you put air force and Navy as one and two, you may say, I want to fly for, you know, the, the air force. And if I can't fly for the air force, I want to fly for the Navy. 
know, that may be a kind of a simple answer to that question. Um, there may be, uh, you know, I want to lead America's soldiers or Marines. So that might be, you know, a good answer for West Point uh, or um, the Naval Academy. Yeah. You know, as, as an example, I want to do highly technical cyber warfare. You can, you know, say I want to go to the Air Force Academy. Then, you know, I know that both Navy and Army have cyber also. So I think you can uh, shape it in that way if you you know, and I think it goes back to what we're talking about in the beginning is kind of being able to uh, talk intelligently about the services and being able to give a rational uh, explanation as to why you are applying to all three academies or two of the three or whatever. You know, I, I, what I'm afraid of with a lot of candidates is they just they just they're just enamored with the prestige of, the, mm. of these places and yeah. the fact that they're free and that they're just you know just throwing you know, mud up against the wall and wondering what's going to stick. I see. Yeah. You know, so have an intelligent reason why you want to do, why you want to go to where you, where you want to go. And it's pretty easy to quickly see through those candidates who really are just throwing mud up against the wall because you ask them a few questions and all of a sudden they pretty much, their whole motivation just kind of falls apart. Yeah, they just, you know, they're, and that's what we try to sniff out with the ROTC applicants is, you know, when I was, you know, that was one of the things we were told by Army Cadet Command is that, you know, the scholarship's worth a lot. You know, you need to determine it, you know, you need to try to figure out if these people are in it for the money. Yeah. You know, that's really, you know, because, you know, you can leave the academies after two years and not owe anything. Mm -hmm. You can leave an ROTC scholarship after a year and not owe anything. And that, that costs the government a ton of money. Yes. And so the ability to snip out people that are just trying to get an education on the government dime uh, is very important. And I think one of the ways you can do that is when you ask them questions, if they don't know anything about the service or, or they're just very naive about the service, uh, then that is somewhat of an indicator that they're not taking it seriously. Um you know, and, and, you know, I'm oftentimes perplexed as to why they, why people would not take it seriously. Because I, when I talk to candidates and I said, you know, you realize that, you know, you're, you know, 17 years old here and you're going to be four years at West, West Point or whatever service academy you go to, then five years, that's nine years. A big commitment. So you're talking about a, a half of your life that's already transpired is going to be either preparing to go into the military or going into the military. Don't you think you owe it to yourself to learn more about about that, the service you've decided to go into. Absolutely. And, you know, to your point earlier, uh, you know, I, I, my whole reasoning for the Air Force Academy was I wanted to fly. And I found out my sophomore year that I had depth perception issues and I could have, you know, pursued a waiver, but uh, the doc told me most likely it's not going to be granted and that you're not going to find out until you'd be needs of the Air Force. So I didn't, I had no idea what career field I was going to get. So I pretty much put aside my aspirations of flying and decided to pursue the intelligence route instead. And I was lucky enough that I made that decision before my junior year. So I wasn't committed. I, I made the decision to stay, but that just goes to show that, you know, my motivations were not just, not just for the free two years and then leaving. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's uh, great. I mean, I'd say for me with the, uh, my, my, uh, uh, reasoning for army is that, um, 
I just, you know, I, I flew a little bit uh, in high school and at, with Civil Air Patrol and uh, I wasn't comfortable, you know, flying. And, and I realized even though, you know, I had accomplished high things in Civil Air Patrol um, that, you know, maybe flying wasn't really what I wanted to do. And so that's that's was sort of dro- drove my uh, reasoning to go to West Point. Wow. I just didn't I just didn't really want to fly, you know. And so, you know, I think, you know, if you you know, I think people have these grandiose ideas that they want to fly yeah. and have never like, you know, gone up into a Cessna yeah, that's you know, or some so other true. thing. And, you know, and taken the or taken, you know, I think you I think you owe it to yourself as a high school student. If you want to go to the Air Force Academy or you want to fly, you know, that, you know, well, you know, have you paid a couple hundred dollars to take a couple flying lessons yeah. to see, see if you love it? Get some hours. Get some hours under your belt. It doesn't cost a lot of it doesn't cost a lot of money, but you know, they have this kind of, you know, you know, kind of notion that you want to fly and you've never done that other than maybe flying in a commercial airline. I just that's not the same. It's not. It's it's you know? really not. And and you know, working with air crew and throughout my career, I am pretty happy that I didn't end up flying just because of the lifestyle that they live of constantly being gone and TDY and deployed. Uh, it, uh, being an intelligence officer was way more suitable for my personality. Yeah. And that's part of the educational piece, you know, not the romantic piece of this, <laughs> yeah. but the educational piece of it that I think is so important. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, but you know, my West Point, a lot of West, my West Point classmates got out after three or four years. So you know, they ga- actually gave us early outs for my class. So I don't know if it was because they just were disillusioned with the army or didn't really think about what the army was going to be like or hmm. whatever. But I think there's, I just strike it strikes me that there's a there's a lot of naivete out there regarding you know military service and what that means. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but so uh, if we look at, um, you know, as far as the uh, SAT scores and, uh, you know, the grades, I'd say that, you know, both Air Force and Navy have are a tick higher as far as the SAT or ACT scores go, maybe about 20 or 30 points higher than West Point. But they're still on okay. par with each other as being, you know, you have to be very competitive. Yeah. And so, you know, you're not going to get a pass just with West Point versus the other services as far as, the, but there is a slightly less uh, for uh, West Point than there is for Air Force and, and, uh, and Navy. And so the percentages are about the same. Uh, Navy's a little bit higher uh, uh, emphasis on academics, around 70% of their overall whole person scores academics versus 60% for Air Force and, uh, and Army. Uh, so we've got some calculators on our website on the gain service Academy website, uh, that kind of have the whole candidate or selective composite scores for both air force and, uh, army to kind of see, you know, where you might fit in the overall kind of, you know, uh, candidate score, you know, and where you rank. Yeah. And those are really helpful because it gives you a percentile and you can see, um, compare yourself to previous, appointees and see where you fall in that. And that is at gainserviceacademyadmission.com. Right. And kind of see now if you fall in the 51st percentile, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get an appointment. That's correct. Why is that? Well, first you need a nomination. (laughs) (laughs) Uh If you don't get the nomination, everything else doesn't matter. 
Yeah. If you go, you're in a competitive district and you're in the 50th percentile, you may not, you, you, you may not be able to get an appointment, you know, so there's a lot of things that go into it. Plus uh, athletes, uh, you know, they've got a field division one athletes for uh, all of these service academies and uh, they tend to score below the 50th percentile, a, lot, a number of athletes do. So they've got to fill those uh, athlete uh, uh, spots and they're also uh, for diversity goals too, also have to be filled too. So, you know, just because you fall in the 50th percentile, there's a lot more involved athletes, diversity, where your congressional district is and, and, and where you, where you fit overall in the, uh, in, in the whole scheme of things. So, yeah, so that's kind of, um, what's kind of involved there. So, um, so that, let's go ahead and uh, wrap this up here right right now. And so basically what uh, you know what we talked about today was basically making sure that you focus on this on the service that you go into that in fact uh, the school is uh, less important that, that which academy you go to you know is is important but you got to think about what's going to happen at the end with your service. And so that's I think the most important thing you know that we're looking at here. And, um, you know, it was great to, uh, have, um, you know, Trish on here today. So, you know, um, so great. So, uh, you know, we hope to see you next time on, um, on, uh, the gain service Academy podcast. And, uh, next time, uh, you know, we're going to, we're, we're, we're over the several coming uh, episodes. We're going to be looking more and more into the different kind of aspects of, of the academies and seeing kind of, um, you know, what, uh, you know, what considerations you need to make as, um, as, as a candidate for one of these service academies. So with that, uh, we'll wish you the best of, uh, best of luck until next time. Thanks. Bye. 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 You've reached the end of another episode of the gain service Academy admission podcast. Connect with us at gain service Academy admission.com. Love this episode of the podcast head over to iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you listen to, to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you.